Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning this morning to the book of Acts. If you're following along in our Pew Bibles, you'll find our reading on page 916. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, page 916 of our Pew Bibles. Page 916, and we're reading Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. And as we read this part of the Bible, we remember this is God's word to us. So Acts 8, beginning at verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is great to be here with you all again. Thank you so much for another invitation, for another very warm welcome. I always enjoy coming along to see you good folks and to enjoy fellowship with you. And I want to begin by giving thank you uh, a real earnest and sincere thank you for your ongoing prayerful and practical support for us as a mission and for Matt and Judith Hill in Spain in particular, and for that vital literature ministry that they're involved in. Your partnership with them has been an immense help. That ongoing support is a source of rich blessing to them and to us, and it's making a real difference. And just to share his appreciation, and also to give you a little update on the work of Editorial Peregrino, uh, Matt has prepared a short video for you. Just lasts about two to three minutes. And let's hope our technology works and you can watch it now. Greetings from Matt and Judy here in Spain, working with European Mission Fellowship and with Editorial Peregrino, Christian Literature, here in Spain. Uh, it's now 15 months, I think, more or less, since we, since we met some of you uh, back at the end of um, 2021. I've looked back over last year. We praise God for um, his goodness to us. We thank you for standing with us in the work uh, that we were involved with last year. We thank you for your prayers and your support for us. And we, uh, we, had, we ended the year on a high with our um, Passion for the Gospel conference in Madrid is a gospel. It's a conference that we sponsor along with Nine Marks and is organized by a number of local churches. I'm involved, heavily involved in the organization of that. We had 370 people and that was a real blessing. We're already planning for this coming year where we'll be back in Madrid 
and dealing with the subject of revival. We began the year well, encouraged. We've been to a number of conferences, some of them quite large, up to 500 people. And it's been a great opportunity to get out and meet people, put out our bookstall, sometimes a very large bookstall, let people know that we're around and uh, make some good sales uh, of books. Speaking of books, we have uh, just coming, arriving from the printers just today, I believe, uh, will be our latest uh, book in the our commentary series, um, Pilgrim Commentaries. It's uh, a series that is designed for for pastors with, with, with not much formal education uh, or theological education. And uh, so we are ready to receive Romans uh, by Stuart Holliott, which is part of the in English, part of the Wellin Commentary series. And as I say, that will arrive today. We're particularly excited about this book because it's been uh, funded completely, uh, almost completely from the UK. And uh, that's made it so much easier for us to produce this book. And once we have it physically here, uh, then we'll also be sending the files off to Cuba to get it printed and distributed amongst the pastors um, over there. So, uh, Christian Literature in Spain, we thank you for standing with us. And that is still a very, very important work. If you just think of the books that are available to you at your Christian bookshop when you go down to maybe the Evangelical Bookshop in Belfast or the Faith Mission. In Spain, we have a 10th, the 15th, the 20th of that offer available to us. In Spain, um, very, really, very little in real terms, very little good Christian literature available, more than there was, and we praise God for that. Um, but still, very, very important work, and we thank you for the part that you have in standing with us in that work. So, thank you for your prayers, and we look forward to seeing you sometime. Uh, goodbye, and thank you. Well, there we are. Isn't that encouraging to hear how God is continuing to bless the literature ministry there in Spain, to be reminded of the enormity of the needs that exist to get good Christian books into the hands of pastors, ministers, ordinary Christians. And isn't it exciting to know that you are playing a vital role in getting good literature not just in Spain, but right across the Spanish-speaking world and even into a country like Cuba. So thank you once again for your support. We really do value it. And if you would like to be better informed and to be more prayerful for Matt and Judith, why not take one of their leaflets with you? Here they are. They're on the, on the tables and the exits. Grab one of those. And we also have some of these little leaflets as well which explain more about the literature ministry, and this one in particular about the work in Cuba, which I think is so encouraging and so uh, exciting. And of course, there are little sign-up sheets. If you'd like to receive their prayer letters on a regular basis, get your details down. The little sheets are there ready and waiting for you. But what I want to do this morning is to help you get a bigger and broader insight into the work of European Mission Fellowship. And so we're going to be focusing on another country and another missionary family. So where are we off to this afternoon? We're off to this place, not far from Spain, next door, the beautiful land of Portugal. Anyone been to Portugal before? A few, oh yeah, there's quite a lot now, yes. I think Portugal is one of Europe's most interesting and impressive countries. 
This is the westernmost country in the continent, which is famed for those golden beaches, the rugged mountains, cobblestone villages, and medieval castles. For those of you who haven't been to Portugal before, I know you'll be going home now and getting online and seeing if you can get your holidays there. Those pictures look pretty impressive. Portugal is also one of the oldest countries in the world. Its borders have remained largely unchanged since 1255. And throughout its history, this small, easily overlooked little nation has had a massive impact on the world around it. How come? Well, it was the pioneer of world exploration back in the 15th and 16th centuries and helped to discover new lands, places like Brazil, parts of Africa, the Far East. With these discoveries came lucrative trading routes, many colonies were established, and all this enabled Portugal to become the first global empire in history. An empire that would span some 600 years. That's impressive. Coming from a little country tucked away in the corner of the continent, isn't it? In time, of course, Portugal's power and influence dwindled. Many of its territories have disappeared. Yet, its legacy lives on. Portuguese is the official language in nine countries and is spoken by some 250 million people, making it the sixth most spoken language in our world. Sadly, however, Portugal's spiritual history and heritage is much less impressive because for century after century, its people have been blinded to the gospel of grace, that gospel that we've been singing about and praying and rejoicing in this afternoon. Even the great, the mighty 16th century reformation led by Martin Luther and many others failed to penetrate Portugal. And so while a host of other European countries at that time were ablaze with the good news, liberated by those precious truths that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the people of Portugal remained in darkness. The tragic, sobering reality then is this. Portugal is a land which has never experienced any significant spiritual revival or awakening. That's heartbreaking. Century after century of spiritual darkness. So what's the spiritual situation like in Portugal today? Have things changed? Has it improved? Well, Portugal remains a very religious country, at least outwardly. And one religion continues to be dominant, that of Roman Catholicism. In fact, the number of Portuguese people identifying as Roman Catholic is around 77%, which in today's Western Europe is a huge number still. Just like its neighbour, Spain, Freedom of religion is guaranteed in Portugal, but the Roman Catholic Church 
retains powerful privileges from the government, meaning that its presence is felt in every city, every town, and every village. Now, one very visible illustration of this is found in a small city, really a town called Fatima. Maybe you've heard of Fatima before. Just north of the capital, Lisbon, Fatima contains a huge basilica and one of the most important Roman Catholic shrines in the world. It's dedicated to the Virgin Mary, who, it's believed, appeared to three children back in 1917. And as news of these supposed apparitions spread, so did Fatima's fame. Today, it is the most important destination for pilgrims in Portugal. It attracts over one and a half million people every single year. In fact, on one day alone, coming up very soon, May 13th, every year, hundreds of thousands of Portuguese pilgrims will make the trek to Fatima from north, south, east, and west. Many will be filled with passionate religious devotion they will often make a promise a personal vow to do penance as a sign of their gratitude to the virgin mary for many this means covering the last 500 yards on the marble pathway down on their hands and knees praying and weeping as they crawl toward the shrine Is that not heartbreaking? So many men and women trying in vain to earn, to merit some favor with God, blind to that free gift of God's grace and forgiveness available through faith alone in Christ alone. Then in the evenings, the cardinals, the bishops, they lead these huge torchlight processions, which frankly serve only to magnify still further the spiritual darkness of the people there. So Portugal then was born a Roman Catholic country, and in many ways it continues to be one. However, things are changing in Portugal, as they are in Spain and as they are across much of Europe. For the last two to three decades, the religious landscape has been reshaped. But sadly, not for the better. A slow but steady seismic shift has been occurring as Portuguese people, as Spanish people and European people, particularly younger people, increasingly abandon their historic Judeo-Christian beliefs, turning instead to secularism, to a life without God. This new generation is turning its back on the church increasingly, viewing it as irrelevant, outdated, insignificant. And we can see evidence of this growing tide of secularization in some of the laws that have been passed by recent governments. So, back in 2007... Abortion in Portugal was further liberalized. A few years later, same-sex marriage was legalized. 
And more recently, the Gender Identity Bill was signed into law, producing some of the most liberal rules around concerning transgenderism. And we've seen, haven't we, from the instance of Scotland, the chaos that such laws can have on families and communities at large. So it's clear then that against the historic backdrop of Roman Catholicism, Portuguese people are becoming increasingly irreligious, liberal, and immoral. But what about the evangelical church in Portugal? Is there much of a gospel witness in this big, beautiful land? Well, the answer is no. It's widely believed that 1% or less of Portuguese people are Bible-believing Christians. This means there are many areas without any kind of gospel witness at all. A few years ago, I spent some time with uh, one of our uh, Portuguese missionaries, and one of the most memorable events for me was when we were traveling along in the car as a little group. We were going out from the church to different towns to see around us, and what I noticed was the pastor in each town would make a little comment. No church here. Next time. No church here. Next time. No church here. So when you take all of this into account, when you stand back and you look at the big picture in Portugal, this is one of the neediest mission fields in our continent. Now I know so far, in talking about Portugal, it's all been a bit doom and gloom, hasn't it? Not really a whole lot to send you on your way, really rejoicing in the Lord. But there is good news because God does have his people and he is building his church. And it's just now that we're going to zoom in and I want to introduce one of our new missionary families in the land of Portugal. So here are Diego and Stella Lopes. Diego and Stella Lopes, and their three lovely little children, Diogo, David, and Esther. In 2018, the Lord opened the door for Diego and Stella uh, to get into Portugal, to get involved in not just one, but two key ministries, church planting and theological education. Building up a new body of believers and raising up a new generation of church leaders. So firstly, the church plant. It's in the capital city, Lisbon, in an area called Margamso. And despite a whole host of obstacles and problems, God has richly blessed their efforts. That little plant is now a fully constituted church. Today, there will be between 50 to 60 people gathering for worship. In fact, the biggest problem they have right now is that they've outgrown the little building that they have rented. So some people will be having to stand outside. That's a problem. But that's a great problem to have, isn't it? But secondly, alongside this, Diego is spearheading the formation of a new Bible college. It's called the Martin Busser Seminary. And it is the first Reformed seminary in the whole country. Diego likes to say it took us 500 years to get one in Portugal, but finally we have it. It started in September with 18 students. Isn't that marvelous? 18 young men being trained up and equipped for gospel work. 
for this needy lamb. I'm not going to tell you any more because I'm going to let Diego and Stella do that. I've got another little video to show you, and we're going to watch it just now. Hi, I am Diego Lopes. I am Stella Lopes, and we are missionaries in Lisbon, Portugal. Portugal needs the gospel. In a country dominated by Roman Catholicism for centuries, only 1% of the population is actually evangelical, according to the last census. And from that number, a very small minority is actually reformed in their theology. We have three children, Diogo, 10 years old, David, 7 years old, and baby Esther is 9 months old. I was ordained in Brazil and then sent to be a pastor of a Portuguese church in South Africa in 2002. You know, and then we got married, we started serving together uh, in the church, and we participated in so many things, uh, always ministering to Portuguese and English speaking, but mostly Portuguese. We live in Seixal, and that is where our church is situated, which is Margem Sul. So just to explain geographically, Lisbon, has the river, the Tagus River, or in Portuguese, Tejo, which cuts through the city, separating the North Bank from the South Bank. And we're located in the South Bank of the River Tagus. And that's where our church is, and that's where we also live. In 2018, the Church of Lapa started praying for a church plant on this side of the bank because there were a lot of families driving to the other side to find a healthy expository preaching church. That's when they started praying, decided to invite us. And we came here in the end of 2019. And then, as you know, the pandemic hit the world and we were yet to plant a church. And now, against all odds, the Lord provided, the Lord was gracious and merciful. And uh, by the grace of God, we planted a church and it became autonomous in November this past November, on the 7th of November. And we are so grateful for what the Lord has been doing here in the community in the Southern Bank of Lisbon. When we decided to come to Portugal, it was because I was invited to be part of the leadership of the Martin Bootser Seminary, which is the first reformed seminary in Portugal, because we believe it's central for the revitalization and church planting in Portugal that men handle well the Word of God and proclaim faithfully the Word of God with sound doctrine. We believe that Reformed theology has much to contribute for the health of the church in Portugal. My ministry is with the women of the church where we study the Bible, we study God's Word weekly, uh, we usually study books of the Bible, so we spend a long time, many weeks studying that book of the Bible. Uh, looking at its context, looking at its structure, and then looking um, how it applies to our daily lives. So we have some prayer requests to share with you. We are right now looking for a more adequate place to, for our meetings, for our church to take place, to happen. Right now we are in a, a great space that the Lord has blessed us with, but uh, we face a challenge that we are running out of space and we also need rooms for our Sunday school, uh, classes so we are looking for a 
a bigger, more adequate space for our church. So we ask that you may pray with us so that we can find that place. Uh, pray for our seminary as well. In September, we start the group uh, that will be engaged in pastoral training, uh, the advanced theological training for pastors that will begin in September. So please pray for that as well. Please pray for the development of the leadership of our church that's taking place. And lastly, for our family, for our children, uh, for their education, um, and for us. For, for health. Health, yes. And strength for the ministry. Well, there we are, Diego and Stella. A great couple engaged in two significant strategic ministries, church planting, theological education, and the beautiful land, the needy land of Portugal. Friends, we'd love for you to get involved. What can you do? Well, I've got another one of these little leaflets. Um, grab one of those. And again, you can sign up to receive their prayer letters. Be informed. Be prayerful. And of course, if you would like to give financially, you'll find little forms on the table as well. We'd really appreciate your interest and support for Diego and Stella. Well, so much for EMF. Let me just flag up very briefly. We do have a conference coming up. This is another way you can find out more about our work. And it's not far away. It's in my home church, Balamoni Baptist Church, on Saturday the 20th of May. You can see our theme, Here We Stand, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. You've got a great line of speakers coming across to share as well. We've got these little flyers all over the place. Again, grab one of those. We would love to see you there Saturday morning, 20th of May. You would be most welcome. Let's turn now to God's word very briefly to that portion that we had read for us. A little earlier on in our meeting from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. Acts 8, verses 1 to 8. Bulgarian pastor Christo Kulichev knew what it was to suffer for Christ. Kulichev lived and ministered during the communist era of his country. Due to his outspoken faith and his passionate proclamation of the gospel, he quickly became a marked man. On January 9th, 1985, he was arrested, tried, and imprisoned for his disobedience to the communist regime. His crime was that he continued to preach in his church. His trial was a mockery of justice. He was sentenced to eight months' imprisonment. But during his incarceration, he made Christ known every way he could. When Kulichev finally got out of prison, he wrote these words. Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions. And it turned out, he says, we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in our church. God was, he says, better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. And there are thousands of stories like this to tell today and even more over the centuries of Christian history. The lesson comes true again and again. God uses the sufferings of his people to accomplish his sovereign purposes. 
And that's exactly what's happening here in our passage this afternoon. You see, up until this point in Acts, opposition to the early church had been quite limited, pretty low-key. But on the day of Stephen's death, just a few verses back, a great, a mighty persecution erupted with the ferocity of a violent storm. Saul, we're told, began ravaging the church, tearing it apart, drawing away, pulling away men and women, dragging them off into prison. As a result, Christians are being driven out of the city, forced to flee for their lives. But even in the midst of this disastrous turn of events, God, our God, remains in complete control. Brings us to the first of our two points. Nothing can stand in the way of God's sovereign purposes. Nothing can stand in the way of God's sovereign purposes. This flight of the Christians from Jerusalem is an extremely significant moment in redemptive history. You see, until now, the early church was centered in Jerusalem. No one had moved beyond its borders. However, Jesus had said back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that his people were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, this great commission is now beginning to be fulfilled as many in the church are forced to flee. Where did they go? Chapter 8 verse 1. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And what were they doing as they went? Verse 4, preaching the word, bearing witness to Christ, proclaiming the good news. So the storm of persecution whipped up by the enemies of the church ended up fanning the flame of the gospel into new and unreached areas. Instead of smothering the gospel, they succeeded only in spreading it. What they meant for evil God used for good. You and I, brothers and sisters, we ought to take great heart from this in our day and age. The truth is that nothing and no one can thwart God's sovereign purposes. Whether it's ruthless dictators or godless governments, false religions or evil ideologies, The more the world opposes the church, the more the Lord preserves and prospers his gospel. The hidden hand of God is always at work, ordering all things for the growth of his people, the glory of his name. So take heart, fellow believer. Our God and his mission is unstoppable. Isn't that good news to remember today? Secondly, we learn no one is beyond the reach of God's saving grace. No one is beyond the reach of God's saving grace. So the gospel was spreading as the believers are scattered. But in verse 5, Luke turns our attention to one of those scattered believers, to Philip. We're told he went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, that's one of those little verses we could easily skip over and fail to take notice of. 
But you see, we do so at our peril because Samaria is such an interesting place. Because there was an intense animosity between the Jews and Samaritans. In fact, this was a hatred that had existed between these two peoples for centuries. In fact, in Jesus' day, good Jews wouldn't even set foot in Samaria, lest their feet would be polluted. That was the extent of the hostility, the animosity. This then, Samaria, was the most unlikely place for gospel work and gospel growth. Yet, we're told as Philip breaks new ground as he preaches the word and proclaims Christ there, a miraculous spiritual awakening takes place. Verse 6. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said and saw the signs that he did. The spiritually tormented, the physically broken were healed by the presence of the Spirit as Jesus was being proclaimed. And so verse 8, what a beautiful verse. There was much joy in that city. Once again in Acts we are being told that the gospel transcends culture, class and color. That it is for those of every rank, every religion, every race. And therefore we ought to remember that no one is beyond its reach. That no heart is too hard for the Lord. Now we who are believers I'm sure... Believe that, don't we? And yet deep down, if we're honest, it's easy to think that there are certain people who are just too far from Christ, too stained with sin, too settled in unbelief. Maybe it's a wayward son or daughter. Maybe it's a hard-hearted spouse. Or an antagonistic colleague at work. And deep down we've begun to believe that such people, they will never come to Christ. But when we think like this, brothers and sisters, we have failed to properly understand the explosive power of God's word. The glory of the gospel is that it is able to radically transform even the most unlikely of individuals. Even someone like Saul, the passionate persecutor of God's people, was no match for God's grace. With the Lord, nothing is impossible. He is able to save and to save to the uttermost. No one is beyond the reach of God's saving grace. Oh, may these two vital truths then fuel our prayers for the lost and fill us with fresh boldness in all our witness for Christ. May God help us. Amen.